ladies and gentlemen thank you for tuning in to another episode i'm your host steven g gaxiola and you are listening to the raider and the saint podcast I like it. Yeah, it's very nice, man. It's very nice back mm-hmm. here. It's got a, a new, it's got a new ambiance, you know, compared to being in the, uh, the studio. The mm-hmm. studio was very nice. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Uh, we have, yeah, we are live now. The, the cameras are on us. Uh, Instagram world is watching us. IG live. Yeah, this this is awesome. I'm happy you're back, dude. Good to be here, dude. It's been it's been an amazing journey. You, this is your fourth episode fourth episode you've been on in the past i'm on my fourth year now i think the last time you came the came on was uh before my brother passed about two years ago and i didn't get a chance to thank you uh when my brother passed away i remember you showing up and i want to go and, and, and thank you i think i did but i remember you showed up solo dolo you know you showed up by yourself you showed up you, you paid your respects and i didn't i pretty sure i thanked you but i'm thankful that you showed up and everyone that was there at my brother's funeral we had the local uh, or council, well, local council 42 show up with the big rig. A lot of my brothers, uh, local Teamsters, 396, shout out to them. They showed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, cameraman, can you fix the, the background? Yeah, you did the camera there. You're good. No, no, fix the. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, get all. He's hiding himself, dude. No, oh, it's all right, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's all right if it's a little windy. <laughs> Uh, it, it happens, folks. We, we are live. Things are going to happen, but that's okay. But going back to uh, the you being there for, for my brother and everything, uh, it was amazing. I didn't get a chance to talk. I've been wanting to get you on the show, but I know how you want to prepare. You want to be ready. The last time we talked about, what were we talking about? Uh, splitting cells. Yeah, man. Uh, talking uh, about DNA uh, manipulating and stuff like that. Genetic editing. I mean, uh, talking is great, but it, I find it always relevant when you and I – you know, kind of chop it up uh, behind the scenes. Do our research. Matter. Yeah, yeah. Partner, we've covered heavy hitting issues. We covered COVID when it was hot, when 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 grocery stores were empty, when it was when it was uncomfortable to meet in person, when we were worried about the mics. We did George Floyd when it was hot. Mm-hmm. We did genetic editing because it was fun. And uh, I think what we're talking about today is uh, sufficiently enough a crisis in the state of California for sure. Yeah, definitely. Akbar Sharif is back in, in the studio, folks. Uh, if you guys want to listen to uh, my boy Akbar Sharif, you could tune in to episode number 21, episode 32, and episode 72. Yes, this is his fourth time on. Uh, it's It's been a minute since I've had him on. This is episode 153. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, sir. The date is Saturday, April 15th. 
Uh, it's a beautiful uh, evening, springtime in Southern California. Uh, also, info about the podcast. If you're looking to be a, a guest, sponsor, or advertiser on the show, you can get a hold of me at the Raider and a Saint at Outlook.com. That is the Raider and a Saint at Outlook.com. Uh, before I get to my boy Akbar Sharif and we go into discussion today about homelessness and addiction, first I want to give a shout out to everyone that attended to the UPS rally at local 952 today in Orange County, California. It was amazing turnout for everyone who showed up. I really appreciate you guys showing up. It was a, it was great to hang out and introduce myself to new people, talk to them about the show, uh, just spread the, spread the good news. And it, it was amazing to see everyone there in solidarity doing their thing. It, it, it really meant a lot to me. Also, shout out to the guys I met at uh, Pizza Mania in Whittier. Shout out to Silver, who invited me. He is an organizer for Local 952, and he's uh, doing some big things, and he invited me, and it was cool. I got to meet a lot of guys from Albertsons, CVS, people who were shop stewards, uh, just regular members. I don't know, a couple. I think a couple BAs were there as well. But it was cool to meet people that weren't just UPS drivers from my local. They, they worked for other uh, other places such as Albertsons and I love Albertsons. I shop at Albertsons all the time. That's my sh my uh, place I go to uh, every day after I'm done jogging. I got my routine. Uh, you know, now that I'm not working right now, if you guys listen to my show, you guys know what happened to me December 26th. I'm not going to go backwards, but uh, I tell people if you're going to listen to the show, start from the beginning and you'll know where I come from and what I'm about. Uh, don't just uh, listen to one show and think you know who I am because. Uh, I've already done 153 episodes, man, and trust me, my opinions, who I am, I'm, I'm maturing and changing right in front of your eyes, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I, I've been through a lot in my life, and it's amazing to see this podcast grow, and I'm honored to have Akbar here today to discuss homelessness and drug addiction. Akbar, welcome to the show, brother, man. Go ahead. Always an honor and a pleasure to yeah. be with you yeah. guys. Yeah. I don't see you enough, but, uh, you know, it goes without saying, I... I have tremendous respect for what you do. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the subject matter today is near and dear to your heart. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, and I commend you for it. I, I think it's awesome that you're in the triple digits now with these podcast series. Uh, at some point, you got to holler at Joe Rogan, let him know you're out there, man. You know, know you know, you're, you're making some noise <laughs> out there, man. It is. But, it um, is. You learn. You learn. <laughs> you learn, and you live. And with the with the show, it's about grinding, right? You can't give up. You got to keep pushing. You got you. If, if everyone were to give up, you, you would never know what you can achieve. Sure. You know, if it's easy, uh, then it's not meant for you, right? I, I became a UPS driver. I graduated from college. I did a lot of things. It wasn't tough. It was tough. But I'll tell you this, beating drug addiction, something that I talked about on this show, not just today but in the past. This is one reason why I started this show was because of drug addiction. And I'll go talk about a little bit about it. Your boy has a fucked up back. I have two herniated discs. And drug addiction didn't start, start from just I wanted to experiment. It came from a back injury. Doctors prescribing you pills. Those pills don't work. You start looking for something harder. And next thing you know, you're in the street uh, buying pills. And you're, you're in the street gang. And you're slaying. And you're doing this and that. Yeah. And so I'll always talk about it. I'll, I'll always stand on my, two, my, my, my left and right foot. And talk about how hard it was to beat the addiction. One thing that kept me strong and helped me to push through was I said, listen, I know that once I beat this, I'll be able to do 
what I wanted to do more was do a podcast. There's no way I'm going to be able to do a podcast and bullshit my way and being an addict and doing blow and, and pills and having a good time and then coming on and telling you you can do it, you can beat it. No, I had to go through hell. And once I did, I knew that I could do something even more. And that's why I stand on 153 episodes today in testimony to show you guys, no matter what you're going through in life, pick yourself up, ask for more, push through it. I'm telling you, there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad. But don't give up, man. We're only here for a split second. Yeah. Split second. And then there's someone that just passed away at, at work there. He didn't even wake up from his sleep. He was 40-something years old, 41, wow. 42. Uh, things that happened to my brother, and I could talk about that stuff all day, but this one is really dear to my heart. And I know I post stuff on, online, right? I'll post stuff of, of homeless men. There's one guy who was on all fours barking like a dog, mm. just, just growling, and I'm sitting there at the light, and I'm videotaping him, and I'm making fun of him. But deep down, I, I feel sorry for him, and I mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing stuff like that. That was but, somebody's bundle of joy at one yeah. point. Yeah. And I see it all the time. And, and I started doing that on, on IG. I would post all the people passed out, all shot out, just laying on the ground. I said, damn, damn. And and do it and, and make fun. And I, and I feel bad. I, mm-hmm. I do feel bad. And uh, that was the beginning of me, me posting on, on Instagram j- just for fun. But deep down, man, it, yeah, that was somebody's uh, bundle of joy. And it's getting worse. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. I'll always talk about it. Mm-hmm. Got you, man. Um, and I think, uh, as we were saying before, we were se- you know we were setting up when the sun was still out. Um, I think the subject matters that that we're covering. Obviously, it's divided up. You're handling more of the drug angle of it. I'm handling homeless of it. But they intertwine. They uh, they dovetail into each other. They 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 relate to each other. And um, uh, again, you're gracious enough to have me on. And as I've done in the past, uh, you know, given that I'm a guest, um, I never want to you know take over any part of them. I'm not commandeering nothing, but for purposes of context, uh, it's my style to just kind of just lay out a little bit of a background. So we have a context to work off of, and then we can, you know, eat off that and, and dissect it further. And, you know, as it relates to the homelessness aspect of this, as we know, I mean, if we're, we're not even talking, we're not talking about the globe. We're not talking about this entire country. We're just talking about California. And within the context of California, we are the fifth largest economy in the world. We ha- consistently have a budget surplus. We have the most amount of billionaires in the U.S. and some of the wealthiest neighborhoods and zip codes in the country. And yet our homeless crisis, and it is a crisis, is, is burgeoning. It's out of control. And uh, legislation has failed over and over, dating back to uh, ostensibly the 60s and 70s. And I'll get into that a little later. But uh, it's a crisis, and it can no longer be made a partisan issue because it is, it is critical. Uh, just for context, and, uh, and I'll go. Um, 30% of America's homeless are in California. That's, I mean, it, just think about that not even in an abstract sense. California is 12% of this country's population, and yet we make up 30% of the homeless. Shit, really? From 2014 to 2020, 9% homeless has increased in this country. In California, it's increased 43%. That alone lets you know that that it's drastic here and we're talking per capita and so forth um distinctions need to be made uh in terms of um california unsheltered people in the country the total number is 233,832 of that 233k 115,491 come from california alone 
So we exponentially take up the figures with respect to uh, unsheltered people. And for purposes of this podcast, it's critical that I draw distinctions. Homeless versus unsheltered. Unsheltered means, you know, these are, these are folks who are living in, in situations that are completely unintended for human habitation, such as under a freeway, on the side of the road, in a park, under some cardboard. Whereas homeless includes that, but then also includes situations such as, you know, sleeping on a friend's couch or being in temporary housing. I mean, you have a shelter over your roof, but it's not a permanent solution. So, you know, you're, you're, you're homeless in essence, but you're not as destitute as you are unsheltered. And um, for purposes of context, if you look at uh, 2023 stats, California has 161,000 uh, unsheltered and in, in, in homeless people. Whereas in Texas, 27,229, Florida, 27,000 and change, Washington State, 22 and change, Oregon, 14 and change, Arizona, 10,000. You're seeing a theme. What do we have? We have 161,548. Holy shit. And notice I mentioned Florida and Texas. I'm not talking about Rhode Island and Delaware here. You know what I'm saying? The numbers are actually underreported and don't account for people living with family, friends, in motels and rural areas. So the numbers are actually higher. In 2015, the L.A. Coroner's Office recorded, you know, just as an anecdote, 630. Uh, 613 deaths of unhoused people. That number has increased every year to 1,629 in 2021. Excuse me, 1,609. That's a 160% increase in the span of six years. The number one cause is OD, and that's your subject matter, mm-hmm. but that's, uh, that's what's the relevant aspect of it. Um, in the two years since COVID, 2020, California's humanitarian ca- catastrophe has worsened. Deaths of peoples on the streets have increased. College students are increasingly living in their cars. Our elderly citizens here in California are be- becoming unhoused. And uh, encampment communities are growing at beaches, parks, highway underpasses, lots, and sidewalks. As you can see, it's a problem. So let's, let's talk about causes here. With respect to causes, off the top, and this is nothing fancy, it's the housing costs. The pathology of the homeless crisis in the state of California and maybe the rest of the country, but I'm only qualified to talk on California, is housing costs. It's, it's bananas here. Uh, more than 1.5 million renters in our state spend half of their earnings on rent alone, mm-hmm. which effectively leaves them one medical emergency away from being homeless you know, or, or, and or unsheltered, which is the more drastic situation. It's that, it's that drastic. It's that of you know, cutting, you know, cutting the, the, you know, the, the hair with a knife. You know? mm-hmm. um, and uh, the gap between high and low income communities, families in California is amongst the highest in the country. Only three states have it more drastic. Families at the top of the in- income distribution in our state earned 11 times more than families at the bottom, whereas, um, for instance, 1980, families at the top earned seven times more than those at the bottom, which doesn't sound like a lot, a differential of 4%, but that's a 63% income growth for the 90th percentile, the the uber wealthy, Mm -hmm. versus a 7% growth in income distribution to the 10th percentile. For context, the 90th percentile are those families making 291,000 or more, versus the lower rung, which is uh, 26,000. And for further context, putting aside LA and San Francisco, which we both know are obscenely expensive, as well as Orange County, I'm, I'm calling all of California. The basic bare minimum a family needs to survive in this state is 37,000. And in, in, in that's in, in enough families are not making that. 
and that includes the rural community as well. Additional contributing factors are shifts in technology and international trade, which effectively render those who have four-year degrees or higher increased their income capacities by 34 percent since 1980, which a lot of people don't have access to, just generational wealth and so forth. From a racial lens, and that's not what I'm qualified to speak to, but it's just a footnote, you know, black and Latino families comprise 56 percent of the families at or below the 10th percentile. In essence, those families making $26,000 or less in, this, in the state. And ironically, they make up 44 percent of the families in the state. Look at those differentials. They make they, they're the nearly 50 percent of of the of the family uh, percentage of the state, and at the lowest end consistently. Uh, what that translates into, from a dollar and cents perspective, if you really want to distill it down, is for every one dollar that a fi white family earns, black families earn 60 cents, and Latino families earn 52 cents. Uh, you know, factors contribute to this. Uh, trends, housing disparities, as we discussed, education, mm -hmm. local job opportunities, incarceration, and then also discrimination in the labor market. Mm -hmm. uh, UCLA research of, of late has concluded that residents of, you know, some of these L.A. encampment communities have said that um, unhoused statuses, including eviction, job loss, domestic violence, uh, former incarceration, family co conflict, and then also the low wages in this economy are what, what make this happen. So... We got these drastic figures and we got these daunting um, situations to deal with, you know, but we're, we're here to talk about solutions. This isn't a partisan thing. This is a human thing. We're both, you know, and cameramen all, included. We're, yeah, we're all, we're all in this together. We're all in this, you know, we're all citizens of California and mm -hmm. it's our tax dollars. And so I try to, you know, kind of split this into a few categories here. How can we tackle this at a basic baseline level oh man and i'm not even calling this the solution but it's something that we can work off of is housing uh in 2022 uh, governor gavin newsom pushed a 14 billion dollar investment in homeless solutions meant to create about 55,000 new housing units and treatment slots it was called the home key initiative which was a successor to project room key and uh you know i'm sure you've seen it here in orange county as well that allows local governments to buy motels for people that have temporary housing or to have full-time housing and that, that's nice, but it's a first-come, first-serve thing, which leaves out a lot of people. And then also it doesn't address other issues, such as mental health as well as drug abuse. So housing is critical, and I've already emphasized that housing costs are the number one cause in this country. For, excuse me, in this state, but the country as well, I, I would imagine. But um, uh, housing alone is not the issue. So Newsom can throw money at it, and it is critical, but it's not addressing the underlying needs. So let's dig this, dig in this a little further. Another podcast I was listening to, this was on uh, the Joe Ro one of the Joe Rogan episodes. This dude came on. He was a specialist on California, and uh, this is this is my term. This is nothing he came up with. I, I listened to him and I read a couple of other articles. I'm calling it diversified housing. So as opposed to just getting these uh, local governments to buy motels as temporary and permanent housing, uh, what other proponents of of this diversified movement, which I'm calling it, are proposing is to you know buy buildings in, in really dilapidated areas that have potential, such as, for example, uh, you know, LA's Skid Row, as well as the Tenderloin in San Francisco, and you convert these buildings through development into housing, but not just living situations, but you also 
infuse into them psych hospitals and drug counseling. As part of that, you also have you know local police to assist psychiatrists and then also probation personnel. By probation personnel, what I'm, what I'm referring to, I'm talking about case managers who are imbued and empowered with the capacity exactly to keep tabs on people, to get them drug counseling that they need, mental health assistance, meds where needed, job plugs where they can, housing, and then ways to reconnect with family if that's an option. I mean, we pay taxes in California, mm-hmm. and we have a budget surplus, and yet we're not allocating money towards this, and that's a recurring theme. Um, whatever you do, um, the, the, you know, we, we need to have structure and we need to have rules. You need to be, and I'm referring to the people who would be going into these, what I've called diversified housing situations, you've got to have rules at a basic level. You have to be willing and able and able-bodied and you know committed to getting mental evaluations and uh, assistance on a mental side as well as drug testing to to allow only those who are clean to go in but then also basic civility there, you know there's no violence there's no theft of your fellow residents there's no rape i mean we have to say these things but it's a reality and also and this is something a lot of people don't talk about if you're willing to go into these places to derive the benefit of housing and these benefits of mental health assistance as well as drug abuse counseling you got to be willing to relocate to places outside of LA County San Diego County uh, San Francisco you know Alameda County for instance if these if these programs structures go to Yuba County or to Sacramento or to San Luis Obispo County where I'm from you have to be willing to relocate and this this is this benefits us because other parts of California are, are more desolate or just you know less populated and it's less of a strain on places like LA where they're overrun as well as San Francisco you have to be willing to commit obviously that's in an ideal world and the common theme that we always hear is that people aren't willing to commit or they're just so far gone in their mental health issues or drug abuse that they won't commit they're combative in those situations we need to go back to what was previously called the uh, the CTF the the, uh, community treatment facilities let me talk about what that means so in this country back in the day and i'm not going to bore you with history no, but go i'm going to give you no, some a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah. so what we used to have we used to have mental hospitals where people would be committed against their will asylums asylums 5150. yes and 5150 and you would be committed into those institutions against your will and they some of them were good and they served a good function but a lot of people got screwed in the process as well. Sometimes people with Down syndrome would be incarcerated in those, wouldn't have rights. People with mental health issues were being put in effective dungeons in some of these situations, and it was an awful scene. It was terrible. So in the 1960s and 70s, there was a change. There was a term called deinstitutionalization. What happened was President Kennedy had a personal relative. Uh, this woman was committed against her will, and um, she was furious about it, so it got to Kennedy, and Kennedy uh, enforced an executive order whereby these uh, these mental, they were called mental hospitals, but they were basically asylums, as you said, Gax, mm-hmm. and um, he basically deinstitutionalized them, and he said, that's enough of that, these, thi- these places are terrible. So on the one hand, Kennedy was doing a good thing because he was essentially, uh, you know, you know taking away the power of these asylums to continue incarcerating people against their will but on the other hand they didn't have an exit strategy in terms of what to do with these people when they got out and you had this mass exodus of people now on the streets what Kennedy and his people had wanted to do was to create what the Europeans were doing because the Europeans in the 60s and 70s were also deinstitutionalizing their mental asylums but they had these CTFs, these community treatment facilities whereby people would go in 
and they had ways to keep you there, but it wasn't like a jail situation. You had mental health assistance. You had professionals. It was funded by the state. They had drug assistance, recovery, mm -hmm. and it was a way to do it in lieu instead of having these awful dungeon situations and these asylums that they had had. Mm -hmm. We wanted to do it that way, but we never got around to it. It never happened. The closest thing we had was the, these things called LPS conservatorships. The closest anecdote I can provide to that is, you remember Britney Spears? Yeah. She was committed into an LPS conservatorship, and, you know, she was essentially stripped of her power. Yeah. But not the vast majority of people, you know, the, the average Joe Schmo, you know, and in Long Beach, where I live, doesn't have access to that, those kinds of resources to get an LPS conservatorship. They're more, they're more, they're more complicated and expensive, frankly, and doesn't have, you know, Britney Spears money to get that done or resources. No. And, and now you don't have these CTFs. So the, the idea is to have these community treatment facilities be brought back up to allow people to come back in. This would also include uh, war veterans you know, instead of languishing on the streets of Wilshire Boulevard, and I've seen it with my own eyes, I live in L.A. County, mm -hmm. you know, they have access to these things. There is enforcement. You are required to stay there, and, and, but you do get drug counseling. You do get mental health assistance, and it is enforced, and there is oversight. So it's not this, like, black cloud of these dungeons that we had, you know, up until Kennedy revoked them uh, through executive order in the 60s and 70s. So these are things to consider in that regard, and... Another couple things that have been suggested, which I agree with, these are not my ideas, these, these ones here. Yeah. Someone else is saying it in an article in a podcast I listened to separately, mm. is we got these encampments throughout California. And as you know, in this country, we have the Interstate uh, uh, Commerce Clause, mm -hmm. and we have the right to travel free reign everywhere we want. Other than federal land, where there can be restrictions, in Native American land, we can travel anywhere we want. You and I could, could get a freaking rental car and go to Miami, and hang out if we want to. Mm -hmm. We have that constitutional right. Mm -hmm. What you and I shouldn't have the constitutional right to do is to encamp in the post up on the beach, beach. You know, to just sleep out there. Throwing syringes. Right. So if you are one of those people, then you I I advocate for and I'm not I'm trying to sound like a decent human being, mm. but I think we need policies to start to enforce this to where people be committed. I mean, I'm using this word, but you know, it needs to be said into these more structured, humane community treatment facilities, and and to to be to, to provide help. And another component of that is in in not just to have it strain the resources of California. If you're in an encampment, which I think we should continue to. Again, I'm going to say the word criminalize here because they're not helpful and they're unregulated and horrible things happen in them. Um, if you're from out of state, if you're a person from Arizona or from Alabama mm -hmm. or from Nevada or from freaking Massachusetts where I lived for a good part of my life, and you're in California because it was a fun place to be, you know, you came out here to be an actor, it failed, it didn't work, and now you're living on Venice Beach. I think there needs to be multilateral discussions between governors to require you to take back your own and to you know, have them be reconnected with their families if that's an option, or if that's not an option, to have them be put into their version of community treatment facilities in their respective states so California's not footing the bill. We disproportionately get more than anybody else in the country. It's, I've read the stats to you, you know? Jay-Z said it, you know, women lie, men lie, numbers don't lie, you know, and California is getting, is getting, the, is getting the shaft in that regard. So I think that uh, it needs to happen. And if some states respond with, 
well, you know, we can't have you be busing, you know, your, our people, effectively our former residents, back, you know, back into our state because we don't have the resources, we don't have California money. Well, then we need a federal agenda to assist with that. On a California level, we have a surplus. And from the government side of it, the federal government, I'm of the opinion the discussion needs to be had that we need to allocate money for this. And uh, this is my take on it. These are the facts on it. And, you know, from a, from a humanity side of it, you know, people people could justifiably reply to me and say, I'm inhumane. You know, these community treatment facilities, yeah, they're not as bad as what they, you know, undid in the 60s and 70s with these asylums, but you're still stripping someone of their liberty. Well, not, this, it's not know, like they're going to be doing exactly. experiments, a lobotomy, no, no, drilling holes in I'm their saying. heads, and or, you know, all kinds of LSD and psychedelic drugs. It's and a, there should be case managers, and they should have access to their families, and they should have ca access to therapists, and they should have access to lawyers. I'm advocating for all of that. But you need to get the help, and you need to stay there until you're right. You're because not, you're not. You're not humane. It, you're not. I'll. It, I'll. You want to hear humane? This is. M this is my idea. Let's hear it. How about we just? We got plenty of land out in the desert. Let's just build a big old fun fun <laughs> pen for them, I, and I, let them just have at it. I'm not saying. And that. we. I'm and, not and, saying. And that. we can videotape it. We could throw people in there that are that are criminals, and they, we can replay the, the movie. See, I'm not saying Late, that. What was the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Roadrunner? That's some entertainment I got you. I got you. See, you know what I mean? I, I, I know you're joking. Yeah. I know you're joking. But, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. Uh, you know, I'm of the opinion we have these community treatment facilities but that are yeah. not what they had. And, you know, the other part of it is, you know, it, rather than just shoot at me and call me inhumane for suggesting it, let me ask this to those folks. Is it humane for those people to be rolling in their own feces and to die up in a ditch with a needle in their veins and to turn up that way? I live, I'm sorry, I've said it before, you know, I, I lived in, uh, you know, I've lived throughout the United States, you know. Uh, I currently live in Long Beach. I've been there for a tad over a year. It's closing in on two years now. I live in downtown. I see it every single day. Is it humane for those folks? To, you know, and it's been cold as shit this year, man. I've seen homeless people living under cardboard on a daily basis, living like trash, man. I've given up so many clothes, so many of my own blankets. I've given up, you know, some of these these folks that have, you know, pets with them. I've so given, those you know, are those folks. Sorry to cut you off. They're suffering. Are they? Are, is it because of addiction or is it because of mental health? Mental health, health and and that's another thing. Um, in our or jails, is it both, it's you know? both. It's both. Uh, the statistics show that 40 to 50% of everyone incarcerated in the California penal system has some degree of mental and or drug issues. So to conflate the issues and to put folks with mental health and drug abuse issues in the same bucket, in the same, you know, in the same, you know, discussion as a, as a, as a, as a rapo, as, as a killer, as a, as a criminal is unfair. They need help. And that's why I advocate for these, these, these regulated, you know, community treatment facilities and for states that aren't, you know, that are, are that are disproportionately sending their folks here. It's time for California to push back and say, listen, it is a free country and you have the right to travel, but you don't have the right to, you know, just encamp in our communities. I didn't always take this opinion, but I, I live in the jungle now. Mm -hmm. I live in downtown Long Beach. I see it. And from my perspective, brother, I don't consider the way those folks are living to be humane. 
They live like it lives. It's awful. It's it's terrible. Mm-hmm. I hear people talking to walls at two o'clock in the morning when I'm walking my dog to go to 7-Eleven to get some popcorn or something like that. When I'm coming back from playing pool, it's it's horrible. I think it's equally justified to say those are inhumane conditions that they're living in. And if we're going to talk about humanity as well, let's talk about who who is not benefiting from this as well. For instance, what about the people who have to live in these communities but are trying to make it and have to be around people like that? I'll give you an example of what I mean. If you take the tram, the subway, it's above ground mm-hmm. in Long Beach to, to, to downtown L.A., wherever you want to go. I mean, I've taken them. They got rats you know? crawling over you? Dude, forget the rats, man. <laughs> you got people screaming nonstop. People have their iPhones snatched. People got, you know, people get slapped up. You've got, you know, unpredictable Jeez. people. So that's and not just New York. No, brother. This is, I'm, this is L.A., man. This is L.A., and I've seen it. I'm, I, I've seen it on a personal basis. It's gnarly. And I'm a 46-year-old man who can, I think, you know, relatively speaking, I can't even fend take for myself. I my so, 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 you know, so check this out. What if you are, a, a, you know, an, an elderly woman who's trying to, you know, come up with some income because you don't have a car and you're trying to get your nanny position, and you got to be on a subway, and at nighttime you're around unpredictable you know, you know, you know, drugged out, really uh, mentally unstable yeah. people. They get harassed. What if you're a young, 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 young lady who's trying to get a, you know, who's going to a junior college, some JUCO in L.A., and you want to go get a degree. You want to learn how to be a, a chemist or you want to be a pharmacist or you want to be a mechanic. And you're nervous about getting on the subway, the tram, because there's unpredictable people. What if you're a young lady who wants to assist your family who owns a restaurant and because you don't own a car, you have to take the tram. you got to be paranoid about being on these things. What about their human rights as well they're americans as well why are we not prioritizing their rights we gotta we gotta go back this is this is me okay it is i'm not saying it's the right way i'm, I'm really extreme when it comes to something like this we go back to I, i'm a wild wild west guy i love the old school i love western movies one of my favorite movies is tombstone hmm. you, you disrespect me you look at me wrong i'll be your huckleberry i'm your we huckleberry. gotta go yeah <laughs> you mess with my daughter she should be able to pull out a 22 and defend herself we got to go back to the old school days a couple steps back because the the laws and the regulations and the people that are in charge, they want to punish the people that want to defend themselves. Because if, if somebody that had nothing to lose and stabbed you or shot you, they'd be in the street the next day. But someone that's trying to make something of themselves or have made something of themselves, it seems like they're going after people like that. And that's what that's what really is upsetting me now is that. Or, or gun. I know there's school shootings. I know those things are going on. Uh, but there's a lot of things that the news ain't reporting on, and, and things that you're talking about is getting robbed every day, getting uh, scared and bullied, and getting a lot of things can happen. And it sucks because I, I, I want to protect my family, but I'm scared because if I were to defend my family, I get sued. Yeah. Uh, I go to jail. I lose my job. I lose everything. But it's okay. So we got a problem. And it starts with the politicians and the regulations and the laws that they're implementing. Because you seem to, if we want to defend ourselves, we are going to get punished. And the people that have nothing to lose, you know, you see in San Francisco, they're breaking windows in the, in the dude, middle of the it, day. It, what's it called? Bop, bopping, bopping, whatever. It, it's yeah, a thing, dude. Know. It's so common. But, you know, like, you know, and, and this and is. And that's not a know, health issue. That's. People that That's need people are fed up. I understand they're doing what they need to survive. One dude was break robbing a, a Walgreens, and they goes, "What are you doing that for?" He goes, "I gotta feed my kids," and I get it because our 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 drug laws uh, suck. When when yeah. Reagan came in office and he says, "Hey, we're gonna have a war on drugs." So if you got caught with with what was this? Uh, 
a gram of coke or uh, think like 60 grams of coke that was 10 to 25 years i don't agree with that and no, so a me, lot of, yeah. and, and that was just not just coke but it was weed right and how many of those guys that are in uh incarceration right now that are still suffering from holding a little bag of sure. weed or a little sure. bag of coke that's bullshit and and those those regulations need to change yeah and when those people say they do, that they have changed a bit, right? Where guys you get in trouble, you got caught with a bag of coke, drunk driving, you're in jail for a few years. Sucks, right? Definitely sucks. You get out of jail, jail they're not hiring anywhere. They're not going to hire you. Right. And so what has that guy got to do? He's got to go back in the street. He's got to start grinding. He's probably got to go about selling coke again, weed, and now he's even more extreme. You can't because break he's got the cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just a vicious cycle. And it, it, we need, it needs to start with there. And I think we have potential to do it. I was having lunch. I was in a tiny village in, 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 in South Vietnam a few years ago, whatever, more than a few years ago, uh, when I was doing my, uh, my master's program. And this was a you know, tiny village called Hoi An outside of Da Nang. Da Nang is where the U.S. soldiers first uh, you know, uh, landed uh, mm -hmm. back in the day during the war. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was having lunch. And mind you, this is a tiny village. And, and, and I was just having lunch in the spot, and I was talking to the bartender, uh, the, 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 excuse me, the, wait, the waiter, and we were having a conversation. Dude spoke, spoke some decent English, and I said, hey, you know, I mean, it, it's not like there's a lot Eric, of rich people here. He gave some more ice and some Coke. And, uh, and I said, you know, where, do you, where are your homeless? And, you know, you, you talked about this kind of Mad Max situation, put them out in the desert. They do that. You know, at least back then they did it. I'm mm -hmm. like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, what they do is for people who, uh, you know, essentially are, are of a certain disposition. And I think, you know, in reference, he was referring to, you know, mentally challenged, but then also, you know, troublemakers and drug abuse pers uh, folks. They would put them to a, in a certain part of the country right and, they would, and they would stay out there and they would do basically farming work in a collective community. It was structured by the government. It was forced, but you were disconnected from your family, you. and you were stripped of rights, but you were out to live out there. I'm not even saying that. I'm saying you can you can be in one of these community treatment facilities. I'm you know I mean I agree with what Kennedy did because those asylums were awful with the lobotomies and things that you're saying, but they do need to be enforced. You do need to have you know claims uh, assistants or excuse me case managers who can follow you because what we want is you know there's this other concept of living life on the installment plan. And from 2014 to 2020, we did a lot of things. We used to have drug courts out here. And, you know, and it wasn't so adversarial in the sense that you were trying to litigate a claim out for a sustained period of time. It was really a judge setting parameters. And if you if your piss test claim clean, then you were good. We've done away with that. Drug courts are mostly non-existent here in California mm -hmm. now. And um, what I'm suggesting in that regard is revert back to treating the the problem and not the symptoms. Don't go after the dude who busts the cars just for the sake of doing so because he did it. Because, you know, what they call it is living life on the installment plan. These people are, you know, they have mental health issues or they have drug abuse issues. They're, they're, their life is spiraling out of control. They commit low-level, you know, felonies, you know, or misdemeanors. They do some time, and then when they get incarcerated, they get the treatment they need for a period of time. They get the drug counseling. They get the mental health assistance. So then they reach some state of equilibrium, and they're good in essence. Mm -hmm. Then they get released again. But there's nowhere for them to go. And so they revert back to the same existence, mm -hmm. you know, get busted again, and then wind up incarcerated again. That is not, that is not, that is not beneficial. 
The only person that benefits is is the prison industry there, because there they guy, want more people in there. There was a guy that came in today at our meeting. At uh, he, we have a, a section in our meeting where we have people come up and, and talk about what's going on in, in their in their barns. We call different companies barns, right? All right. We got in my local, we got CVS, Albertsons, OCTA. I think we got Disney, UPS, over over 7,000 members, right? So we have a section where people will come up, and this guy came up, and he goes, hey, they called me the enforcer. And he looked like the enforcer, right? And one thing he said was, I didn't know what family meant until I – got involved with the Teamsters and I got the job at CVS and I really wanted to get to talk with them because I don't know if he, he's been in jail. Maybe he, he did some time and finally he, he stumbled upon being a, being in the union, being a Teamster because the, the Teamsters, they, they do hire felons. They do give people second chances and they realize, shit, dude, this is a family. We all take care of each other. We back each other up. And it was a, it was a good moment to see him talk about it like hey it's it's a it's amazing my, my family my wife we, it, we, i'm so enjoy and, and, and enjoy of, of, of being a family and, and i kind of got the vibe like the, the guy's obviously never been a teamster maybe he served some time i wish i would have got to talk with him. if anybody knows the enforcer tell him hit me up that's i'll have to have name. a really conversation oh he's a big dude all tatted up i was yeah. like damn he is the enforcer it's not a man i want to cross <laughs> but hey, uh, it was hey, uh, the enforcer's looking for you and that's the <laughs> one good thing about the teamsters is they're all about second chances three four five times and i've seen them over the years give people who've been incarcerated give them chances yeah. of, of, of doing something with their, of their lives and right. that's one thing I'm, I'm pro union for is that they give those people chances as they should if yeah. you do time and you're on parole, and you're trying to get out, and McDonald's ain't going to hire you, Burger King ain't hire you, CVS ain't mm-hmm. going to hire you because you got a felony on mm-hmm. your record, what are you going to revert to? you got to put mm-hmm. food on the table. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You're going to mm-hmm. gangbang again, man. What are you going to do? And it's very easy for people in their wealthy communities in, you know, Cota de Casa to call these people losers and to say they have disposition for that mm-hmm. and that they, they don't want to pursue the American dream. You know, some people are shitty. Some people are lazy. Some people are inherently violent. But the stats show that the overwhelming majority of people, you know, recidivism, you know, going back into jail mm-hmm. is a thing. But a byproduct of that are people who haven't been given opportunities to get out, to mm-hmm. break the cycle. It's generational, man, you know. And, and that's why uh, legislation needs to get involved. For purposes of this, this case, the, today's discussion, I'm just talking about homelessness. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I, I do, I am an advocate for community treatment facilities because they're working in Europe and, and, and it makes sense. Well, and they're also legalizing you know, drugs in Europe, too. Yeah, well, you know, for, and, and, and that's another point to take on it, you yeah. know. You know, they have a policy on that out here. It's called the no harm policy, and they do it in San Francisco where they basically say, Effectively, what they're saying, uh, you know, is is they're telling people, you know, we, we recognize that the drugs are bad, but take the drugs so long as you're taking the syringes from us so they're clean and that you're staying here and that they're regulated. They know it's going to effectively kill these people, but it's it's the attitude of it's going to happen invariably, so we might as well regulate how that happens. In Portugal, they tried it. And there it was working because they had heroin hubs over there where people would be shooting up 
and uh, the the approach was Opium if it dens. was regulated, yeah, and it was working, and and they had it structured, and they had less cases of people getting sick from using, you know, getting diseases from bad needles, and they had more access to resources. The same argument can be made for what's happening in yeah, Holland I know, with I've with heard uh, stories of people with prostitution going before work, and right. they would. And they would go to the, one of those opium dens, inject themselves, and they could go to work and function. And it was regulated. And they were and it was good. structured. Yeah. This, the same thing as I'm saying with uh, within Amsterdam, for instance. You've uh, we've all heard about the red light industry, yeah, where you yeah. can go to the cafes and smoke herb. If we talk about the prostitution side of it, side of it, you know, it's a seedy industry. However, those women are regularly tested. They don't work for pimps. They have housing. If any. If any, if any client, if any dude gets violent, he gets dealt with criminally, not by goons with a bat. And the women are effectively taken care of because it's oversight. There's structure for it. We can do that in this country. I'm not talking about prostitution right now. I'm like talking uh, about massage treating parlors. Drug, you know, well, I, well that, that's not a subject matter I'm getting into. I'm <laughs> talking about it in relation to drug abuse. Mm. If we can just, you know, take, go away from this attitude of, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's just avoid them altogether. They're there. We need to recognize them they're there. But if we can structure it to where people, in the case of homelessness, have access to these community treatment facilities where they're required to be, and they can't just leave on a whim, but they also have basic human rights, and it's not what it used to be with, the, with these insane asylums, effectively, mm -hmm. we can regulate it. And then we're also not throwing these people into the same cells as genuinely bad people to where they're living on this life on the installment plan where they're just going to get right in jail or prison, mm -hmm. do a little bid, get out, and then get back, you know, get back in. Because mm -hmm. life may be better in prison than it is on the streets. And I do stand by my conviction, and I feel qualified to say this. I live in L.A. County now. I don't think it's humane to let people live in the conditions. It's been a long, rainy season. I've given up a lot of my personal effects to, these, to, to people on the street, and it's a crisis, man. It's a crisis. I know these people on a first-name basis, you know, on my street. And it breaks my heart. And uh, California needs to do more. That's my take, brother. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's hard to for, – for in Santa Ana, I could give you my experience, right? That, that's one thing that's I say on this podcast is I'm going to give you my experience. I'm going to give you my intake, uh, what I see through my, my, my eyes and what I experience. In Santa Ana, uh, the – there seems to be a, a mental issue, but the, it also seems to be the drugs mm. make the mental issue even worse. Uh, when you do so much drugs, you do so much, say you do too much cocaine, uh, you know, too many pills, what happens? You start getting paranoid, you start talking to yourself, you stop breathing. There's a lot of things that I experienced being uh, someone like that in the past. Obviously, I didn't become homeless or anything like that, but... Sure. I've I've done way too much cocaine, right? Uh, I've took too much pills, or I drank too much, or smoked too much weed, too much edibles. So when you see those guys, you see them talking. I put myself there because I've I've fucked up and, and done stupid shit in my life where I, I could easily be those guys. So I feel sympathy for them. I I, I feel remorse and I, and I feel bad. Thus saying that, that's one thing that's 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 I don't understand is is it mental is it too much it's, it's the drugs i've delivered to spots where they're all waiting for the drug dealer to show up mm. and the guy will show up but you can tell who he is he's the guy that's looking clean and they're they're all the guys the people are just waiting there like zombies and so i wanted to talk a little bit about drugs is that that was one thing you 
wanted me to talk for about. Sure, for sure. So let's talk about a little bit about uh, opium, right? Opium comes from the poppy plant. If you guys don't know the poppy plant, it looks like a little green ball. Okay, if you open it up, there's poppy seeds in it. That's what they make the bagels of. Brother, I was born in Afghanistan. Yeah. I okay. know about the opium plant. And so, yeah, so in <laughs> Afghanistan, 75% of the opium comes from Afghanistan. Yeah. Okay, and how they would harvest it, the opium, okay, that's the, the, the basic chemical that turns into heroin, uh, the stuff that's not in the streets because we'll get there because that, that's synthetic. But the basic stuff. Back in the 70s, my, my dad had uh, brothers that overdosed on, on heroin, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know how many. I think it was just one. Okay? These are, like, really personal stuff I'm telling you guys. But a lot of the guys that came back from Vietnam, they came back, uh, especially Vietnam and the Korean War. A lot of them came back. They came back uh, drug addicts. And my family uh, served in the military. My, my my dad's the youngest out of, uh, I think, like 18 brothers and sisters. Wow, big family. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, 62 now, so uh, God bless him. And so so anyways, the poppy plant, it's a, it's a green little ball, and what they do is they would the, the harvesters would come and they would make a scratch, and then the poppy plant would bleed. Yep. And at first it would be white, and then let it sit overnight, and they come back and be brown. And then they would have another little stick, and they're able to collect that brown. And what they would do with that is they would harvest that and make it into a kilo or to a, uh, you know, however big they want to do it. And then they would, that's where it would transfer. It would transfer out uh, other places like Iraq, Iran, and then it would transfer. And as it goes, it gets more expensive, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, I think these guys that were harvesting were making like 2000 a, a kilo, and then they could run up to 100000 uh, as far as it goes. But well, what they would do with that raw materials, they they would mix it and do do their chemist stuff, and then it would turn into heroin. And there was two two different types of heroin. There was the brown, the brown you're down, and the white you're hyped, right? There was two different types, and those were that hit back in the, the '60s and '70s, and uh, people you start off snorting it, and then it, it got to the point where you inject it. But now, now. When you, when you go to the hospital, World War II, we had morphine, right? Morphine does come from the poppy plant, okay? In the beginning, it did come from the poppy plant. Morphine is another form of opium. There's different stages. Is it a pain? The, the, is it the morphine's the same. Yeah, morphine's the same thing. Okay. It was a liquid. They would put in a needle. You can you see the movies. They would inject yeah. you and stuff like that. That's was like n the number one spot they would give you in the hospital was uh, morphine drips, okay? It comes from the same plant poppy plant okay now you got fentanyl Oof. right you got those fake pills okay let's go back a little bit you got those hydrocodone pills right you got the percocets uh you got uh you got oxycodone don't get it twisted with oxycontin oxycontin was made uh was called oxycontin because it meant oxycodone continuous so they named it oxycontin and that's a book i have right here that talks about the the sackler family and farmer purdue of how they created the epidemic that's where it started of uh, being addicted to oxycodone but oxycodone is just it's a, it's a synthetic make of the poppy plant okay it's just it's it's made chemically in the lab now they're able to make it chemically in the lab so so we got 
right? It came from heroin, the poppy plant, morphine came came from there. Now uh, hydrocodone, Percocets, uh, all different names, but the same type of uh, chemical uh, based uh, that was made made in the lab. So it wasn't from artificial to plant. It, it was made in the lab. I can't think of the proper term right now. So now we have fentanyl. Fentanyl is, is, let me see, I have my notes right here. I'll have to take a look. Fentanyl is 50 times stronger than heroin and 60 times stronger than morphine. 50 times stronger mm -hmm. than heroin? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So... If people don't know, it, it's it, this this it's a it's not it's not coming from the poppy plant anymore. It's not natural. It's being made in the lab synthetically. Okay, they're able the chemists are able to get the compounds and and being able to construct it. That's why if you go to like the tobacco shops and they have these uh, these little packets of uh, fake cannabinoids. It's not real weed, but it, it's stuff they make in the lab spice? that mimic like spice, Reggie Bush. Stuff like that, uh, they have it. Uh, what do they got? Hemp. Yeah, this they they, they could get the hemp and, and get the cannabinoids and, and put all that together. So long story short, fentanyl is just another uh, chemical that's made in the lab that's lab that's stronger than heroin, stronger than the oxycodone that our pharmaceutical companies have put together. And it comes from China. And what's going on is it's coming from China and it's going into Mexico. The cartels are getting a hold of it. Trust me, I've watched all the documentaries, dude. Especially, this is coming from someone who dealt with abuse. Okay? Are the Chinese producing it? Yeah, or is it just they're the producing it in the labs. Okay. They're, produce, they're producing the raw material in the labs. Okay. They ship it over to Mexico. And get to Mexico. And then they create the, they, they mix it, whatever the add, add, additives, you know. Okay. It's like getting uh, the pancake mix from Costco. And the Chinese are working directly with the Mexican cartels? Fuck yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, wow. That's well, that's well known. And it, come, it comes from uh, Mexico and they make the fake pills. Those pills that are like the they call them the N30s, and those are the most that were the most popular pills back in the days. We used to call them the Blues, the Roxies. Uh, you know, you go on you go on Craigslist. You go, I got I got uh, size 30 uh, blue jeans, or I got size 30 Roxies, and they're, <laughs> they're the code names of these pills. And back then, you every back then the doctors. This was in the early 2000s. The doctors would give out script. You go to the doctor, and my back hurts. They wouldn't. They wouldn't even ha hand you out uh, uh, oxy. I mean, uh, Vicodins and shit like that. They went straight to fucking oxys, dude. Here, we'll start you off with ten, ten milligrams. Yeah, it's okay, doc. You know, still hurts. Okay, here's twenty. Here's thirty. Because they were getting kickbacks from the Sackler family. And so, that's how the pandemic started. If you so guys want who, the Sackler family. Who's that, bro? You ever watch Dope Sick? I gotta watch. Is read that, that, the that book, book right there. Well, that's the book that came out like 15 years ago. All right. They came out with the show on Hulu called Dope Sick. I gotta check it Fucking out. Fucking really good, man. And it was weird. I was watching it. I go, man, how do I know all this shit? I go, fuck. I read that book. Right on. <laughs> and it's weird when you read those books and you're like, dude, I feel like I've seen this before. And I was like, oh shit, I have the book. When you we were talking earlier, I go, dude, I think I have the book. So I wanted to have it out there. Uh, so yeah, you when you. When you start doing the research of everything you've been through and everything, uh, 
you see that's around you, you start thinking, okay, what's the proper way, right? Uh, there's, there's ways to get off of opium, right? We're not even going to talk about meth right now. I mean, what we might might be another podcast we can talk about meth because that's another big uh, pandemic right now or epidemic, uh, and that's made from uh, once again chemicals that are made from the lab, the pseudoephedrine. Yeah, the uh, Nazis used to use meth. Yeah, they 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 talked about how. They would say, "How do they tra- How do they walk this this much overnight?" And yeah. They were getting put. Uh, they said, uh, "What's his name? Uh, Hitler was on it too." Yeah, no, he was on. Uh, um, he used to use eye drops that were a concoction of. Um, um, Is that it, true? Yeah, no, it was like I mean, Red Bull has taurine. You know, Red Bull. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. It has taurine, cocaine, LSD, and he used to use that shit as eye drops. I mean, he had, uh, he had Parkinson's. Other people said that his hand was trembling because of the failed assassination attempt in the Eagles bunker. Other people say it was the eye drops that he was taking. But as for the soldiers, if you recall, when the war, when when Hitler started to lose the war, he was losing in the West to the Allies when the Atlantic Wall broke down. But his dumbass decided to go march east to go take Stalin and to try to take over the Soviet Empire. <laughs> and all of his generals were saying, "Motherfucker, it's it's winter." We got no business charging east while we're already dealing with the West. And he had his soldiers amped up on meth. Yeah. Yeah, they were fucked up. Damn. Yeah. But anyways, going back to fentanyl. Fentanyl is is one of the worst things that has happened to us United States. And what my opinion is from seeing this is that I've I've lost a lot of friends that have – Got caught up in that whirlwind, and it, and it, and it didn't start with that. It started with I got a back problem, I got something wrong with my leg, and and the pharmaceutical companies and doctors just handing them out like candy. Did they know that this was going to cause an epidemic? I don't know, but I can tell you this: it has ruined a lot of people in the United States. I think we have what? What did I say right here? We have lost over a hundred thousand people. Since between the year 2020 and 2021. <laughs> One year. One year, 100,000 deaths and, and drug overdose. Golly, and man. That, that, that doesn't include that, that includes fentanyl, obviously, but we don't know about uh, methamphetamines and other drugs. This is just fentanyl you're talking about? This is just overdose. I, I think this is just overdose. Wow. And, you, and I would say the high percentage would be what's going on coming from China is fentanyl. I think that this is this is a new war creating this environment, because if you look at China, man, it's pretty rough over there, too. They got suicide nets. Right. They got their workers doing a lot of pollution. Yeah. A lot of our stuff comes from China. I'll tell you this and I'll tell you this after the show. There's a lot of big, big YouTubers, big podcasters who promote USA, this and that. And I deliver their shit to big warehouses that ship their shit out to people who order stuff. So it's like a warehouse. They hold their shit, like a distribution center, like what Amazon's having popping up everywhere. And all their shit's coming from China. Wow. And they sit there and say, this is America, America, buy America made shit. All your shit says China on it when right, I deliver. Right, right. All your shit's already printed, pre-printed, and everything like that. Shit, this came from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. My sign up here. It came from Hong Kong. I believe it. I'm I sure. Did, I didn't I'm know sure. it was. I ordered on Amazon. <laughs> I go, oh, shit. Uh, but it, it's we are, we are at war. It, it's it's a it's a different war. You got cyber war now. We can't even. We, yeah. That's another podcast. 
It is messed up, and and I agree with all the points you're making. Something you and I talked about before we went live is, you know, professionals are also referring to fentanyl situations. A lot of times they're not even calling it um, overdoses anymore. They're calling it poisoning. poisoning yeah. Because some of these people are taking uh, medication for back pain. Dude, dude was a contractor, fell off a ladder. Mm-hmm. He goes to the doctor, like you were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, you know. He gets prescribed things. It has the fentanyl in it. He had so, no fi- so the pharmacists are selling, giving out fake pills? It ha- I don't know how it works or if it has traces of it in it. Or if they just get addicted get it to certain the opioids get it and the then street. they wind up. What you know? happens if you get it from the street? They look just like the pills you get. There's yeah, different types of the, – the most uh, – look, at there's different types of levels of oxy uh, – oxycodone's the, the number one right now, right? You got Norco's or it goes Vicodin, Norco's, Percocet, and there's different milligrams. And yeah. then once you get to the Oxycontin, you're up there. And then you got morphine pills, morphine drip pills. You got patches. But the most famous one is oxycodone, 30 milligrams. Right, and they're trying to get kids hooked up earlier. My homegirl, she's from Compton, mm-hmm. and she told me that they were they had a they had a, a phase where in Inglewood, Compton, they it, during this is it's I asked her if it was an urban legend, and she said no. But it, during Halloween season, you know, because they they look you know some of these can, they, they look like pills. They look also like these like candies, like Pez candies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. They were putting freaking fentanyl pills. I don't for know if that's kids. true or not. Those I are twenty dollars a pop, that, man. You know, hey, ain't nobody trying to get yeah. kids hooked up early. You're gonna kill them. Yeah, no. Nope. You put you put those in someone's bag. You're gonna kill. Let me tell you, if I I I can get, uh, I know people, right? I can get you a fake M30 right now. Here, take it. You'd be fucking dead in an hour. Wow. You would have to break it into four pieces, and you're plus you're playing Russian roulette at the time, because it's mixed, right? It's not mixed in the lab. They just throw whatever percentage they can throw in. That for those four pieces, you break that little that little blue pill. Have you seen yeah. that little blue? You break that into four pieces. You don't know what one little piece might be the whole bit. Ugh. Because the way they mix it, like so, Xanax. Bars. Yeah, you just don't know which one's gonna be stronger. So you might take one and not fill it, yeah. and then the next day you take another piece and it's the whole fucking what it was supposed to be. Next thing you know, your heart's pumping, you feel like you can't breathe, you stop breathing, you pass out. And uh-huh. so when when people say, "Oh, they're they're," I mean, one thing I I I've heard about that too is that is scary. I got kids. I got kids that 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 in high school, in elementary school, and to see like their kids. Or their friends come to school and have these pills. It does scare me. I tell my kids, don't take any candy from anybody. Oh, my gosh. And, and my kids understand they ain't stupid, right? And yeah. my kids, thank God, they don't like to swallow any pills. They don't even like to take medicine. We try to we give them tea when they get sick, stuff like that. But if we try to give them medicine, they don't want to swallow it. They, they're, let alone try to swallow some kids' Tylenol or something like that. Thank God. But the fact that they were giving them out for Halloween, uh you those think are that's expensive. Bullshit? Well, dude, they go for twenty dollars a pop. Some of those pills. But so if you get them addicted early, it makes sense. You won't get addicted because you'll be dead. Wow. Yeah, you're not gonna get addicted with off one pill. You're gonna get sick. You're probably gonna stop breathing. Then the ambulance comes. You're gonna give you Narcan. Yeah. Spray it up your nose, but you're not gonna get addicted off of one pill. That's crazy. That, it takes I, yeah. it takes a while. It bro. does. Especially when you're young. When you're young, you could do whatever you could do. You could hang out for a bit, chill. 
It's just, when you've been doing it for 15, 20 years. Now you're in your 30s going, okay, I'm going to stop. Yeah. But once you, you, you just see pictures in Massachusetts. You got this place called Methadone Mile and stuff, man. You see families, just people strung out in cars with babies in the big cut in the car seats, strung out on this shit, man. Fentanyl is a crisis, and I agree with your point of earlier, you know. It is a form of warfare, you know. The, the Chinese could rebut that and just say, you guys are calling it a war and an infestation. We call it as profiteering. It's your demand. You people want it, you know, just like the cartels are saying. Yeah, but at that know, point, those people that are in their cars, living in their cars, who, how are they paying it for, through government aid? I don't know where they got their money. Or maybe they're just broke into their cars. Yeah, robbing. sold yeah, their bodies, okay, whatever yeah. it was, you know. But, you know, I mean, we, we do have a consumption problem in this country, Bex. Oh, we, we do. We, we do have a I think we're the biggest problem. country in debt. You know. Well, no, I'm referring to drug addiction. And we we have addiction is. issues. Is it addiction issues because the government politicians say it is? Compared to other countries, it's not. They're able to legalize things and let us go on with our lives. I mean, why doesn't functional? Europe have a fentanyl crisis like we do? They got young people like us who use PlayStations like us, who live like us, who have iPhones like us. Why don't they, why don't they have a fentanyl crisis? You know? Why, why don't they? It's a good question. I don't know the answer. You know? But they're pretty much just like us. Or, 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 or developed countries in South America or other parts of Asia. Yeah, fentanyl is way too fucking. Fentanyl, uh, I, I've, I've experienced that in, in the past. Like I said on the show, uh, I've been through a lot in my life, and one thing that I wanted to do on the show was help people and get them in the right direction. Because once I beat that that demon, that monkey off my back, I knew that I was able to do a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. But let me tell you, fentanyl is just another fucking beast, dude. That that the pharmaceutical shit that the Purdue family was making, mm. those are some good. I, I'm telling you right now, I, if if it was if I was okay to be on it for the rest of my life, I was gonna be cool with it. But the doctor wouldn't give it to me. He goes, nah, man. He goes, you don't want that for yourself. I said, but I got two herniated discs. He goes, he spit on the floor, dude. He goes, that's nothing. He goes, you still got a lot. He goes, don't go ahead down that road. Uh, turns out years later, he and I getting busted for fucking uh, uh, giving doctor? out scripts. Well, what? It, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't my personal doctor. It was a chiropractor that oh, I was recommended shit. to. But uh, <laughs> he, looked out to, he looked out for me, you know. It, or, go to him. He'll give you a script. But he, he wouldn't give it to me, dude. And I was like, he, and they all thought, I, all the guys that sent me thought I did, and I was holding out on them. Yeah. That's how bad it got, you know? When people think you're holding out on them. But thank God he didn't. And it took me years, dude. It took me years, and I got off it. I got on a, a Suboxone for a few years. Uh, I met a doctor up the street. Actually, I got to get a hold. I haven't been there since I, I got off that medication. But I had to get off that one, too. And it's a journey. It's a journey that I've talked about on my show. Uh, and it's always going to be something close to my heart because when you when you've been down that road and you see people going through it, man, you, you just people don't understand how, how how short life is and and how meaningful life is. Mm. And to see people, those people that make all this money, those politicians living up in the hill, they ain't fucking happy, dude. I don't know. Maybe they are doing threesomes and orgies and all, doing all kinds. Of, I don't know, man. But we definitely got a we definitely got an issue here in California. One thing I wanted to tell you too is, I think the reason why we got so much too. Yeah, is it politician? Yes. Is it, is it lawmaking? Yes. 
you know. Uh, but one thing too is that we do have the fucking best weather in the world. Maybe in the United States, I could say yes. California. Yeah. Yeah. We got. I one mean, of the we best. got, and that's why a lot here. of people it's, come it's here. It's a desirable place to live, you know. And a lot of young, ambitious people wind up here, you know. But that's part of the problem, also. And that's why when I was talking about, you know, this suggested policy of of busing pe- people who try to live in encampment communities when they refuse to get help here and they're from out of state uh, why why you know because i've lived out of state i lived in ohio i've lived in massachusetts they make fun of california and other pl- parts of the country they call us the land of fruit and nuts because they saw they say we're all crazy you know what that may be but a lot of our crazy people are your motherfuckers that wound up here and, and have, you, you know, eroded our state. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I are living here. We're not transplants. We're mm-hmm. California citizens. Mm-hmm. I think at some point it's okay to say, look, no one wants to wind up in Delaware. Nobody wants to wind up in North Dakota. Take your citizens back mm-hmm. and invest money in, in treatment facilities there because you're eroding our state. And just because we are the fifth largest economy in the world is no longer acceptable. You go to places like San Francisco and L.A. right now, man. It's, it's vile. It's it's a crisis. The homeless situation is despicable. Mm-hmm. You can't get a, a proper meal in the Embarcadero in San Francisco, or you can go you know downtown L.A. right now without being worried. You know, if you want to go to a rave in L.A. right now, everyone takes a Uber because your car will get broken into. It's the Walking Dead in downtown L.A. right now. Yeah, I don't even go that way no it's more. It's gnarly. I don't bro. go. I don't go past fucking Beach Boulevard. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a grown. I go, I go this way. I'm a grown ass man, and I've seen. He some does. Grimy he still goes shit. and gets tacos. Yeah. No, man. Get your not tacos. the tacos you eat either. No, just kidding. Yeah. He used to. Yeah. yeah. He used to. My, my my homie right here. He go go. I go. Where are you going? He goes. I'm gonna go get tacos. Where in L.A.? I go, dude. You're in Santa Ana. There's got to be better taco. You know, LA's got the best. <laughs> but now, like, yeah, I, I, I couldn't, dude. No way, dude. It's a different animal, man. LA is a different animal. Cool. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. I believe it. I, have, I had a buddy of mine on my show. He's been on twice. Wild Bill, one of my customers, used to work at Chase Bank on, on my old route. Shout out to Bill. Uh, he's still on, on online too. I gotta hit him up. But he's been on my show. He goes every year. He would do a a, a, a big old, well, not a fundraiser or what, what a campaign. Anyways, he would go down there and hand out hand out uh, food, clothes, and stuff to the homeless. Yeah. And so he would always come on my show and, and talk about the date he's going to go and he's going to do this. I think he just did it, I would say, when the, within the past nine months. So I got to catch up with him and see the difference between when he first started and how bad is it now. Because there's people out there that are doing things. We're doing things that are local. The the Women's Caucus, they're, they're collecting uh, stuff for uh, like fem- feminine hygiene. Uh, hygiene products for for homeless people for the women's shelters and stuff like that yeah so there's people out there we're, we're doing a lot of things we just got to do more got you yeah yeah all right man 
what else? What else you want to talk about? That's all I got. That's it, man. That's I think it, we dude. covered the You're material. Tapped, yeah. We're not even. We only done an hour, dog. <laughs> I covered my part. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep going, dude. I'll keep talking for a little bit longer. The housing market. One thing that has been con- concerning is that the houses are way too expensive. Who's it? Who's buying these homes? Million dollar homes now in Fullerton. I bet you uh, Long Beach the houses are even even more expensive. Depends on where. Yeah, no, I mean it depends on where you live. Downtown the rich area getting richer now. and the yeah. poor getting poor. Whose fault is that? What are we doing? It's just the people that that was at my rally today. A lot of mid, we're all middle class, hardworking teamsters. And we're fighting for a, a fair contract, right? We're fighting. We're fighting for everything we 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 built. UPS they made almost a hundred billion dollars in profit uh, during the pandemic. Who's going to be able to afford these homes? And that's one thing that that concerns me is. You got a company over here that that purchased my friend's home, and they he they paid three fifty for it. They knocked down the backyard, knocked down the garage, and now it's a duplex with fucking Tesla, uh, solar panels, and they couldn't sell it. They're trying to sell it for one point three million. Now it's turned into an Airbnb. I have a buddy of mine who listens to the show. The rent control is one of the big issues in California, and. He, he's telling me that they the owner or the, the, the company that owned his complex of uh, townhomes sold. And now the owner is going to jack up the rent, mm. obviously, within within the, the, the state, uh, the state legal rights of that. But if they argue or they disagree, he's turning a lot of these places into Airbnbs. So a lot of people are just deciding to move. He's turning on Airbnb. He goes, now I got like three Airbnbs in, in, in my complex now. And, you know, if I, if I don't, you know, he's going to jack up the rent and this and that. I'm just I'm just amazed of like pretty soon everything's going to be Airbnbs. So it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a doggy dog world, what we're going through. I got... Huh? Yeah, because no one's buying, no one's buying the home, so they're turning into Airbnbs and just and just renting them out. Uh, I don't know, man. It it was uh definitely definitely a good episode. It was one of those episodes where everyone has somebody in their family that that's been through it or it's going through it, and if you guys do. Listen, as a teamster, I've been through it. I've had to ask help to my business agent. I had to reach out and get the proper methods and and the information to get to uh, a better place, right? This is uh, something that I experienced in my late 20s, early 30s. And I'm happy here to say that, uh, thank God, that uh, I fought the good fight. I'm here. I'm here to let let you guys know if you're going through anything, 
family members, whatever, you need advice, you guys can always reach out to me at the Raider and a Saint at Outlook.com. That is the Raider and a Saint at Outlook.com. Also, Instagram. You guys need help. If you're a Teamster, reach out to your BA. Okay. And they're professionals. Everything's discreet if you need help. And any, any of you Teamsters out there, they're on that shit. Whatever the fuck you're doing, get off of that shit, man. I'm telling you, man. It might be okay for now. Having a good time. You're partying, being chilling. It's cool. I'm telling you, keep doing it. You're going to end up fucking missing work. It's going to start like I'll miss a day. You know, okay, I called in sick. You know what? I do feel better. Let's go back to the bar. Let's go back to the humdinger. You know, let me call let me call the plug. Let's, let's, let's keep this party going. Next thing you know, you're missing five days in a row. Now you got to go to work. Your heart's pumping through your chest. You're sweating. Uh, palm sweaty. Mom spaghetti on your shirt. It, it, it ends up being a... Uh, Turning into a, a bad situation. So you guys need help. Hit me up, man. I, I'm here for you guys, dude. This is what this show's about. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll just add this to that. Um, there's a lot of platforms out there, a lot of podcasts, a lot of resources where they do this and they have reach out. What I respect about you, Gax, is you do it at a grassroots level. You're not some dude who's sitting up in some studio in the middle of nowhere offering these services and has a wide audience. You're in the mix you're with these people. Mm -hmm. They know you on a first name basis. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, you know, I, I have tremendous respect for you. Uh, I, I, I encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Uh, as I always say, it's an honor to be on your show. Um, I consider you a stand-up dude. You've always been decent to me, and uh, man, keep thriving, keep doing well. You know, God bless you and your family. Um, I have a feeling you and I will cross paths in the future on future episodes on subject matters that you and I consider near and dear to our heart. And um, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I think you're a good soul, man. Yeah, Keep so are you. you do. So are you, man. Once again, I appreciate you coming on the show. Guys, you got you got questions, dudes. Hit me up. I'm, I'm, you know, you're, you you send me a message on Instagram, on uh, my email. It's confidential. I'm not going to say anything, dude. I'm, I'm here to help you guys. If you got any family members, you got any questions, I got doctors. I know everything about medications. Uh I'm just here to help you guys, man. But other than that, I'm out of here, man. Once again, I want to thank all my listeners from around the world that tune in every week to the Raider and the Saint podcast. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Be good to one another. All right? I'm out. Peace. Peace. Oh.